Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We'll be in Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 17 here in just a moment. I've had the opportunity over the years to do a great many funerals. I'm not counting how many funerals I've participated in over the years, but I will tell you this, I've seen lots of interesting things and heard lots of fascinating stories, some appropriate and some not appropriate, at funeral services, and so, so have you. Over the years, Dr. Mike and I have talked about funerals on a number of occasions, and uh, one thing he always tells me is that uh, there's always time to make sure that we honor someone at a funeral. It might feel like at times an inconvenience. And what I mean by that is, you know, suffering, tragedy, death, difficulty does not happen when we're ready for it or when we have time for it. It happens. And when it does, it's our obligation as your pastors and staff to minister and serve. And there's always time for us to focus on those who are going through situations of grief. If you talk to Don Carpenter, who is one of the directors there at Rain Sturdivant Funeral Home, if you asked him some questions about funerals, he would tell you some interesting stories. Some things that have taken place at gravesides and in church sanctuaries. The last several years have made funerals quite unique. It used to be that we'd crowd into a room and then for a period of time had to spread out and do all sort of different and unique things at funerals. Not here, but at a previous church where I served, I was on staff and there was another funeral taking place in the church sanctuary. And a family member in the service got in a fight with another family member at the end of the funeral service. Funerals, you know this, bring out the best and the worst in people. They give people an opportunity to show Christ's mercy and grace that's been shown to them. Or they give opportunity for people in their depravity and sin nature to show the greatness of their unrighteousness. Funerals are interesting, interesting events. I can tell you this, I've seen a lot, I've heard a lot at a funeral, but I've never seen and I've never heard what we're going to read about today. Can you imagine what it would be like for Jesus to walk into one of our funeral services at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. That's what took place in this story. Jesus met a grieving widow on the road in a funeral procession about to bury her only son. What I want us to do this morning is look at this text of Scripture from three different angles. I want us to look at it from the angle of an isolated paragraph, a story, an individual story. What does this individual story teach us about Jesus? I want us to look at it as an interconnected story. In other words, let's look at it in light of the other resurrection stories or some of the other resurrection stories in the New Testament. And finally, I'd like us to look at it from our own personal perspective as an impactful story, an opportunity for you and I to be changed by what we read and see in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. So read with me. Jesus raises a widow's son to the town of Nain. Soon afterward, this is soon after he met that centurion in the faith and what we looked at last week. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, which is a couple of miles there from Capernaum. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So get the context. Large crowds, obviously, right? He had healed that centurion's 
servant. Uh, this wonderful act of faith. The crowds heard the stories and they gathered around Jesus. And so this crowd is walking where Jesus is walking. And Jesus had an appointment in Nain. I want you to think about this. He knew where he was going. He knew why he was going there. He knew when he was going there. And there's this great crowd with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So note this, two crowds met one another. A crowd following Jesus, wondering what he, you know, what he might do after seeing what he had done and hearing the testimony. And then there's a funeral crowd. So you have a mixed crowd there. The funeral crowd and the Jesus crowd, they're coming together and wondering what in the world is going to take place. So there's, there's this grand group of people watching this scenario. You get that, right? Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her. Now get this, and said to her, do not weep. How audacious does our Lord have to be to speak to a grieving widow with the only son, her security, in a beer in front of her, a a, a litter, a, 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 a stretcher, where He's there. And He says to her, Stop crying. Then he came up and he touched the beer or he touched the stretcher and the bearer stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, A great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole country of Judea and all the surrounding country. First thing I want you to notice about this isolated encounter is notice the compassion of Jesus. When He saw her, this grieving widow, this grieving widow who lost her only son, He had compassion on her. Why? Well, in, certainly Jesus has compassion on all of us who are grieving. But there is a very special place in the heart of God for those who are isolated for those who are lonely, and for those who are without security. In the ancient world, they didn't have Medicare and Social Security. They didn't have pensions. They didn't have frameworks or opportunities for you to be taken care of by your government, by the Roman Empire, or even by the retirement account that your spouse put into place. And in many cases, the widows of those living in the ancient world were the responsibility of the community. In other words, if if they didn't have someone to take care of them, they would be destitute and bereft. They needed someone to care for them and help them. That's why if you go back and look at the story of Ruth, we preached on this a few few years back, where Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi, they were gleaning in the fields because there was no other way for them to support themselves financially or physically. In this situation, this widow, she didn't have a husband who she could count on for financial security. Her only son, her firstborn son, would have been responsible to make sure she had a place, she had a home, she was cared for, and he died. She had no one else. There was no other security available for this dear widow. And Jesus had compassion on her. 
We're going to look at the word compassion in just a moment. But I, I, I want you to hear my heart and I think the heart of the text here. Oftentimes when we walk through Scripture, oftentimes when I walk through Scripture, I do so through the lens of a husband or a father. I do so through the lens of a family. That's typically, we typically read Scripture and, and interpret and apply it from our own situation and circumstance. But I want you to hear this. This entire paragraph is essentially for those of you who find yourself isolated and alone, widowed and grieving. I know we have a large group of ladies and gentlemen in our church who have become shut-ins over the last several years. Many of you watch faithfully at home. You, you pay attention to our worship services. You still pray for us. Some of you send your tithe checks in. I want you to know, even if you feel isolated and separated, Jesus notices you. He looked at her and He had compassion on her. The Greek word for compassion is a word that carries with it the idea of deep empathy. It is splanchinizomai, excuse me. And Dane Ortland puts it this way. He says, This Greek word is often rendered to have compassion, but the word denotes more than passing pity. It refers to a depth of feeling which churn within you. The noun form of this verb means literally one's guts or intestines. It carries with it, you know, you know that feeling you get when you're sorrowful on the inside and it just feels like it's in your gut? It goes down to the deepest part of who you are. It's visceral. That's the type of compassion that Jesus had for this grieving widow who had lost her only son. Sometimes we have a tendency, folks, to, to compartmentalize Jesus, to kind of separate Him. He is different than us. He is other, and He is, and we'll talk about His deity in a moment. But Jesus is fully God and fully man. And this text reflects that very reality. Dane Orland continues, he says, Christ's emotions outstrip our own in depth of feeling because Jesus was truly human. In fact, Jesus is the only ever perfect human. And so He felt at a level deeper than any of us could even dream or imagine. He had a deep-seated compassion for those who were broken, for those who were lonely, for those who were destitute, for those who were widowed, for those who were bereft. And He looked at this woman and He had compassion on her. But his compassion was not merely a compassion of language or terminology. And we're guilty in our day and age of, of, of saying we care about something because we hashtag something on Twitter or because we connect something or link something on Facebook and we show our values in a social media framework or we wave a flag or we put a sticker on our car or we say we, we've done this or we've done that and there's not a thing wrong with acknowledging where we stand on certain topics or issues or showing our compassion through our statements. But I want you to notice something. All too often in our lives, our compassion ends where our voice box begins. 
We're good at talking about what we are compassionate about, but not very good at taking what we're truly compassionate about and moving it to the point of action. What I want you to notice is we learn that Jesus is not just someone who is compassionate. He is someone who is full of action. He had the audacity to say to that woman before anything else happened, I mean, the crowds are around. Stop crying. It just blew me away. He didn't say that after he did what he was going to do. He said that before he did what he was going to do. Because he knew what he was going to do. And then he walked up and he touched that stretcher, that litter where they were carrying that dead body, and it would not have been in a casket. You know, we're used to caskets being rolled into a sanctuary or a memorial service or at a graveside. And so there is separation from that body to us. And we don't necessarily touch and oftentimes don't even see a body if it's a closed casket. And so there's not a sense of uncleanness in our own lives and minds at funerals. But in Jesus' day, it would have been a wrapped body, just wrapped in cloth. And for him to walk up like we talked about last week with those Gentiles, if he had been in their house, he would have been ritually unclean. Well, let me tell you something. In the Old Testament, if you touched a dead body, you were ritually unclean. And only, you were only supposed to be ritually unclean for those who were your family. That was kind of the, the idea in the Old Testament. Don't, especially for those who were Nazarites and particularly committed to God, you should not be around someone who had died. And Jesus, unafraid of ritual uncleanness, walked up in the midst of all those crowds, the crowd he brought and the crowd the funeral brought, he walked up and he touched that stretcher, touched the cold, dead body of that young man. And then he said something even more audacious. Notice what he said. Young man, I say to you, arise. Now, I've thought about saying a lot of things at a funeral. I have never thought about looking down at the casket that is in front of me and calling that saint, that individual by name, asking them to rise. If I did that, y'all would think I was nuts. Just saying, just throwing that out there. If I did that more than once, you'd probably remove me as your pastor. Probably have a right to. Uh, We do not in and of ourselves have the power to resurrect or raise from the dead. No one has. You get that, right? This is unique in human history. Jesus stopped a funeral procession and said to the dead body, Rise. And I'm just going to throw this out there. If nothing happened, we wouldn't be here today. Because crazy people who tell people to rise from the dead, who don't have people rise from the dead, are just, if anything, footnotes in human history. If they even make a footnote. But this young man didn't stay on the stretcher. This young man didn't stay in the grave cloths. He sat up and he rose from the dead. Folks, I want you to hear this. Jesus is not just compassionate toward us. He is a God of action and a God of ability and a God of greatness and a God of glory and a God of wonder. He can raise people from the dead. 
Last week, we had an opportunity to baptize in this service, and then we baptized in the 11 o'clock service. Today, we're going to baptize in the 11 o'clock service, and you say, does God still raise people from the dead? Yes, He does. Not physically. He could, absolutely. And there have been miracle stories of people who have died, and God brought them back to life in some sort of capacity, maybe using medical technology, but that's happened. I'm going to tell you something though, every single day of the year, God is bringing people who are spiritually dead to life. And we're guilty if we see someone put their faith and trust in Christ and go through the waters of baptism and publicly testify that to this congregation of people and we don't see the miracle of that. We're guilty of missing out on something glorious that God is doing. Jesus raised this young man from the dead, and I'm going to tell you something. He is doing that in the hearts and lives of family members, neighbors, friends, co-workers, all around us. And I want to get in on what Jesus is doing by bringing people who are dead to life. Jesus, we need to learn of His action. also need to learn of His deity. He's not just someone who, who, who speaks and says, okay, this is going to happen. The reason He was able to raise that man from the dead is He is God incarnate. God in human flesh. I love how the New Testament grips us with the reality of Jesus' humanity. He needed rest. He needed communion with the Father. He, he needed to be encouraged and strengthened. He needed to eat. He had a deep-seated compassion for this grieving woman. And yet he's God as well. God who is able to intervene and act in a way that glorifies his heavenly Father. Notice what the text says. So he said to the young man, I say to you, rise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Did you catch that? It's a little phrase, but it's a beautiful one. The very first thing he did after the boy sat up, is he made sure the boy and his mother were reunited. If that doesn't show you the tenderness of Jesus toward a family, toward a grieving widow, toward a mom who had lost her world, nothing does. Jesus sees and He notices. Notice what happened verse 16. Fear sees them all. Well, wouldn't it you? Crowds gathered for a funeral. Crowds gathered to see Jesus do a miracle. And He does something that hasn't been seen ever. Well, maybe occasionally if you go back in the Old Testament with Elijah and Elisha, raising a dead person. But those are the stories of old, right? Those are thousands of years removed. A prophet of God did something great and glorious. And maybe the people of Israel had remembered those stories. But dead people just don't get up out of their stretchers. They just don't rise out of a casket. They don't come up out of a grave. Of course fear sees them all. And notice what they said. Notice their words, the words of the crowd. A great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited His people. They couldn't have been more accurate. I think many of the people, what they were assuming is that God was working through a prophet. They didn't understand fully that God was the prophet. Jesus Himself is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one who can do what we cannot do. He is the one that is great and that is glorious. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear this. If you experience Jesus' compassion, know that He is able to intervene in any situation you bring to Him because He is... God. Now this isn't the point of my sermon, but this is really important. I don't want you to miss this. In a few months, we're going to have a worship series here at our church. We're going to talk about worship for 12 or 14 weeks. Dr. Mike and Dustin and I have been praying through this and thinking through it and discussing 
worship services and worship practices and worship values at our church and thinking through places in Scripture. And I'm just going to tell you, we need to worship God more effectively and more faithfully because He deserves it. But let me just settle at the outset, even before we get into that series, if we will see God for who He is, we will worship God appropriately regardless of the practice, regardless of the method, regardless of the style, regardless of the song, regardless of the opportunity. When we see Jesus as the compassionate Savior who looks into the situations in our heart and notices and cares, and when we see Him as the God who is able to intervene, to raise from the dead, to rescue, to heal, to intervene, when we see that, guess what's going to happen? We're going to be in reverential fear and awe. And it won't matter whether we like the tone and the style and the circumstance of the worship service. We will be thinking about who Jesus is and we won't but help but praise and worship Jesus. That's just reality. Fear sees them all. Notice what they did. And this report went about him, went and spread about him throughout the whole country and the surrounding country. They told what they had seen because they couldn't keep it in. Because they had witnessed something that is glorious and great. That's the isolated story. Let's look at this interconnected. Let me bring up two principles here. As an interconnected account encounter, this story teaches us something. It teaches us what Jesus thinks of death. What does Jesus think of death? Well, on a number of occasions, Jesus... Raised people from the dead. Jairus' daughter, this widow's son in Nain, and then probably the most important story is the Lazarus story in John chapter 11, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. In this encounter, the, the Greek word used was a word for compassion. Jesus was compassionate toward the, widow's, uh, the widow and, and her son's death. In the John 11 account, the Greek word for deeply moved is that Jesus was angry what was he angry about? Was he angry about the mourners? Was he angry about the crowds? Was he angry about the fact he couldn't do anything about death? No, I think he was angry at death itself. I want to tell you something. Do you know what Jesus thinks about death? He hates it. He despises it. He is angry at it. B.B. Warfield, theologian of a bygone era, put it this way. Reflecting on what Jesus thinks of death, especially in the John 11, Lazarus account. Inextinguishable fury seizes upon him. That is Jesus. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death, and he who has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill Jesus' eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage. The raising of Lazarus thus becomes not an isolated marvel, but a decisive instance and open symbol of Jesus' conquest of death and hell. I want to tell you something. We might read this story and think, okay, Jesus raised a widow's son. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It is tremendously important in biblical and theological history that Jesus raised someone from the dead aside from himself. It's an echo of what Jesus was going to do when He came up from the grave. 
You know, there are lots of reasons not to believe in God. Lots of intellectual, challenging reasons. Dead people don't come from the grave. It doesn't fit science. It doesn't fit our understanding of all the things that are going on. But let me tell you something. The fact that Jesus raised people from the dead is an echo pointing to something greater that was going to take place. It was going to take place when Jesus came up out of the grave Himself. Tim Keller puts it this way, also noting Jesus' rage at death. Keller writes, Jesus is raging against death. He's mad at evil and suffering. Jesus did not come with a sword in His hands. He came with nails in His hands. He did not come to bring judgment. He came to bear judgment. Watch this. He knew that if He raised Lazarus from the dead, the religious establishment would try to kill Him. And so He knew the only way to bring Lazarus out of the grave was to put Himself into the grave. He knew the only way to interrupt Lazarus' funeral was to summon his own. If he was going to save us from death, he was going to have to go to the cross and bear the judgment we deserve. Jesus raised this widow's son. He raised Lazarus. He raised Jairus' daughter. Ultimately knowing that he would have to suffer physical agony, spiritual and psychological agony, being separated from his father that He would go into the grave to give us an opportunity at life. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus hates the death that you and I are going to face. He's enraged at it. Enraged so much that He would bear your sins and my sins on the cross. Enraged so much that He would experience separation from His Father. Enraged so much that He would be risen from the dead so that you and I, if we put our trust in Him, do not have to go through death as an enemy. But we go through death with the one who defeated that enemy. What does Jesus think of death? He hates it. Uh, We also learn what Jesus thinks of doubt. We won't explore this story in detail, but news of this event spread. Spread to Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who happened to be in prison at that particular moment. Remember, John the Baptist was the one that announced Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was a faithful, prophetic preacher, and he had preached against Herod's false marriage, his adulterous marriage. And Herod imprisoned John, put him in jail. And you can imagine what that might do. Being isolated in prison, it caused doubts and concerns. Stories about Jesus got to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist sent messengers back to Jesus. Not with a pat on the back, not with an encouragement, not with a thumbs up, hey, I heard what you did, that's awesome. Now John the Baptist sent messengers back to Jesus, and he asked this question, are you the one we should expect? Are you the one to come, or is there another? John's question was, I'm not sure anymore. Some of you are here today, and you're thinking something like this, but that was then. But that was then. Jesus raised a widow's son then. Jesus raised Lazarus then. Jesus walked planet earth then. And you're not entirely sure that Jesus can or will intervene in your life now. You doubt. You're uncertain. You know what Jesus said to John the Baptist? He didn't criticize him. He didn't diminish him. 
He didn't dismiss him. He said to John this. It's a fantastic statement. Jesus answered them, verse 22 of chapter 7, Go and tell John what you have seen with your eyes, what you have heard with your ears. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus' words to John were, Look and see what I do, and hear what I say. Jesus cares about those who are struggling with doubt. Let's move to the third angle of this story, an impactful encounter. In our lives today, we learn from this story that Jesus' works and words bring us life and assurance. What Jesus did then is what Jesus is doing now. What Jesus said then is still what Jesus is saying now because the Bible is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. The stories that we read about that occurred 2,000 years ago are still what Jesus is doing in the world through the power of His Holy Spirit, raising people from spiritual deadness, helping people through difficulty, knowing that Jesus is with you in your isolation and suffering, seeing Him as a compassionate Savior. I want you to hear this, folks. He is compassionate toward you. Some of you may wonder, does Jesus know what I'm going through? I promise you He does. Absolutely promise you He does. Say, but I don't, I don't sense it. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus invites us. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I can't tell you that there's a magic formula for knowing that God sees you, for knowing that Jesus sees you, other than... Jesus says so in His Word. And if we give Him time to speak to us and the Holy Spirit time to work in our hearts, I'm going to tell you what Jesus will do. He will come alongside you and let you sense His compassion. I want you to know that some of you are here and you wonder about Jesus' actions. He did that then. But is He doing that still today? Yes, He is. I'm telling you folks, we're going to baptize some folks at 11 o'clock service. They were spiritually dead. God made them alive. God's working in the hearts of lost people. God's changing people's lives. He is able. He is absolutely able. Some of you are here today and you like Jesus. Man, you love that He's compassionate. But is he, you wonder, is He really God? Yes, He is. He is fully God and fully man. And I just want you to know that because He is fully God and because He is fully man, He, is, he cares about what you're going through. He cares about what your friends are going through. But He is not unable to do anything about it. Folks, He's able to come in and intervene. So you know what that means? That means we need to take what we know about Jesus, take it to Him in prayer and trust. Depend on Him, count on Him. Folks, his defeat of death was not merely for that widow in Luke 7. Not merely for Lazarus and Mary and Martha and John 11. His defeat of death is for you and for me. don't want to get kind of too emotional or sentimental or too personal, but some of you probably will be in this sanctuary again in a casket and I'll be doing your funeral. 
And if not me here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church, every single one of you under the sound of my voice, whether you're watching at home or whether you're, whether you're here in the room, you will be memorialized or buried in a grave or cremated. Your death day will come. But Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you would not have to die apart from God so that when you die, you can know that you're going to experience resurrection. Jesus says that. Those that are in Him in the book of Revelation will experience the first resurrection. He says, blessed are those who experience the first resurrection because the judgment for us has already taken place on the cross. We won't be judged anymore. So let me beg you. If you're not ready to step into eternity by going through death, trust in Jesus alone to be your Savior. If you're here and you doubt, look back at what Jesus said. Look back at what Jesus did. Look at His words. Look at His works. Find comfort and hope and help in who He is. He closed with two very specific invitations. Christian, most of us are. We've struggled with some aspects of this text, but I'm going to tell you what this text did for me. It encouraged me. It reminded me who God is, what Jesus does, what Jesus says, who He is. And some of you are going to worship just a little bit better in the next minute because of what this text tells us. Amen. Here's what I want you to do, Christian. Go tell somebody about the works of Jesus. When this event happened, word spread. They couldn't help but tell, hey, Jesus, He raised somebody from the dead. Listen, go tell people what God's doing at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Go tell people what God's doing in your heart and life. If God's answered a prayer, and some of you He's answered some prayers, go tell somebody that God has answered your prayer. Why? Because we're responsible for sharing what we've seen God do. And if you're here today, and that's not you, and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you, you can't be assured of telling the good news of Jesus because you haven't met Him. Say, I'm not sure, I'm not even sure I'm ready to believe. I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure I can believe. Did you notice that, that young man? He was dead when Jesus told him to rise. God is giving you a unique opportunity under the preaching of His Word for you to seek Him and seek faith. I promise you, if you want to believe in Jesus, if you will pray and ask God to give you faith, even if you're not sure you can have it, God will grant it because He is the one who raises up people who are dead, physically and spiritually. If that's you today, will you trust Jesus to be your Savior? Will you ask Him to give you faith? Stand with me if you will. Father, what a story. What a, what a Jesus. So look out across the room and as I think about those dear special saints who are home today who have not been able to make it back out to our worship services over the last weeks or months or years. I'm thankful, Lord God, that you see them. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are compassionate toward them and toward us. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that you're a God who raises from the dead spiritually and physically. More than anything, Jesus, thank You for dying on the cross for me and for us. Thank You for taking my place, for bearing my judgment, for giving me life through Your resurrection. Thank You for giving us life. Lord, take us as Your messengers, as Your followers, through the encouragement that You've given us through this story, and let us share it with others. 
And Father, if there's one or many here today that have yet to put their faith and trust in You, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day they seek You. They come to You and ask for faith. They come to You and ask for salvation. They come to You and ask for forgiveness, knowing that You're the God who raises from the dead. We pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.